They didn't unmute. Ah, we're here now. Hey, everybody. Sorry, that never happens. My, I was actually, we're, I was just talking about how I need a new computer, and that's the case. We're just gonna bring this audio down because I think that that video is kind of killing it on top of uh, that. So we're just gonna do that. We're just gonna take it easy here for a second. Let the computer breathe. Welcome to 105 of Tactical Crouch. Uh, best intro ever. And we will pretend that it did not happen. Kick Tripod, Yiska, <laughs> and Volumel here. And, of course, um, if you were listening to the show on Wednesday, you'll know that we were joined by Houston Outlaws coach. And, I like, you know, with all the crap that we get, I think it's still friend of the show, Dream. <laughs> <laughs> I think love. we can it's still say love. that. Yeah, it's true. I was, I was hanging in a stream yesterday, and someone asked, like, what time is the show tomorrow? And I answered in chat. I was like, it's at noon. And he goes something along the lines of like, yeah, but they like, they just like around for 20 minutes before they get started. And it is 1219 right now. So there you go. (laughs) Perfect. Another exaggeration, slight exaggeration, I guess. Uh, Well, uh, dream. Hey, good to see you, man. It's been a while. We haven't gotten to hang out a, a ton during the season. Uh, we normally get yeah, to hang yeah. out during I've the off busy. season. We're like playing TFT. We're playing games. We're talking VOD reviewing, and then season hits, and I talk to my uh, grandma more than you actually now. So, <laughs> uh, well, good to have well, I'm you. Sure here. Your grandma's a nice lady. She's very nice and uh, very generous. It's pretty much the same that happened with Baroy after season one, right? Like, yep. I went from from being in Japan and just hanging out in in voice every once in a while to like completely sucked up by an Overwatch and of course you don't have yeah. much free time oh. at all there. But so it's understandable. But you don't. We're proud of our boys. How do you not have free time? You just watch video games for a living. Yeah, I'm a line cook. I could do it. <laughs> just teach fundamentals. I watch a lot of video games. That's that's the secret. <laughs> just just only watch them 40 hours a week you know no problem right yeah easy easy anyways um yes i do have the spacex stream in the background there's a launch happening i've got my nasa shirt on i'm a little bit geeking out right now but we have a show we want to uh, talk to dream we have a lot of good hard-hitting questions for him for sure and uh before we do though we just want to thank everyone for being here and of course, thank our patron producers: Battlecrab Pin Lotion, Charlie L Audio Compass, Porkchop Sammy, Kasha Sixty Seven, Coochie Kopi, Shara Picasso, Nathan Your Misery, Hunter Tain, Refined Bean, and Rex Zane. Thank you for supporting the show. We do have a we have a patron game night on Friday at two p.m. Pacific time. Twitch.tv slash Kick Tripod. 
And uh, at discord.me slash Yiska out, we're going to be playing some Jackbox games, kicking back a couple of drinks, celebrating the weekend. Uh, it'll be a ton of fun. So make sure to come by. Everybody's invited. Patrons get first go at spots for the Jackbox games, but you don't need to have games installed or anything. You just need access to a web browser to play and participate. It's a ton of fun. Whoo. All right. Are we ready to get started, guys? Let's go. Are ready? All right. All right, chat. Here we go. Uh, maybe celebrate partner. Maybe. Who knows? We'll, we'll have to see. Not wrong. Let's, uh, let's, start, um, let's start with the outlaws. Or should we start with May Melee? Uh, we should have planned I mean, this out ahead one. of time, huh? I think May Melee is a good start. All right, it's let's, top start, of let's start, about, let's start talking about the May Melee first. And let's just talk about your performance in the May Melee. Unfortunately, you did oh, lose... Sure. Your first match against Dallas. Um, any reason why Decay is a god? No, I'm just kidding. But like, uh, tell us any insight, like as to you know what you think attributed to a pretty close three-one. Sure. Yeah. I mean, we we did lose first round to Dallas. It was definitely a loss. We uh, were were upset about frustrated with right we really felt like that was super winnable we just never want to lose to to dallas obviously so we we really worked hard during the week and wanted to win that um and we felt confident in the in the meta and the comps and that we had a good read um i know i say that every week but i think we just genuinely usually come in uh knowing what we want to play and, and how to play it but Obviously, Decay had a really, really good performance on Rialto specifically um, in their attack, just hitting some some good shots. Um, I had some feelings when the set first ended, but I went back and reviewed the set on stream yesterday, and I feel like I don't want to take anything away from Decay, obviously, but... I think that we played extremely poorly in uh, that, that round on Rialto where he just went off. I think we gave him a lot of very, very easy shots to hit, and he did a good job and, and hit them, right? But I think we were just playing so sloppy. Um, and I feel like both Nepal and Hanamura were our maps that we uh, we gave to the fuel. Like, again, they capitalized on our mistakes, but it, they were unforced errors that were costing us those maps. And to me, that's a really frustrating way to lose. Um, like, we lost earlier in the season 3-0 to Shock, playing a similar meta, right, where it was Double Shield and Ash Echo a lot of the time. That's the matchup we were playing against Dallas for a lot of the set. And losing to Shock felt like they were making good plays. They were being proactive. They were getting flank value with their DPS. And they were just outplaying us. And that was a much less frustrating loss than a, a very similar meta loss to Dallas, where I felt like it was, it was our mistakes that made the difference, not their individual play or their, their team play. When it came to Decay, it kind of felt like this was what a lot of people talk about when, when people talk about scrims and how dominant some hitscans can be, where they're not forcing errors so much as you just have to be like razor tight on your positioning and how, how you're taking map geometry into account, where their position, how you're using the information, what you're doing with your shields. 
is this one of those instances where you get where you kind of see into the scrim culture and see how dominant a hit scan can be if you're not just on on your marks at all times is this is this kind of what hit scan could be i mean I'm going to be honest, I went through and watched the entire attack on stream mm-hmm. yesterday from Decay's POV and to see every shot that he took and every shot that he hit. There was only one shot um, on hydration, on third point, like threading it between two shields on a pole that let them like burst him down so they could win the last fight. Every other shot was just us doing really, not, not like not respecting this razor thin margin, but just doing dumb stuff like like very dumb stuff taking really silly peaks knowing where he is and like just playing in very bad positions Mm. um so maybe if we played better obviously we're always going to make some mistakes maybe if he only has a very small margin he can still punish us but he was not from watching that vod back we did not make him work very hard for those shots at all um yeah so makes sense were those uh positional errors characteristic from what you usually observe in scrims or is that was did you feel like the mistakes you were making were outlier cases that are hard to anticipate maybe um so there are mistakes that we usually do not make in scrims and about half the time don't make in matches. I think we've had a trend this season in almost all of our series. We have one map and it's usually a a payload or a hybrid, but we'll have one map where like, we just don't play defense at all. We literally just like do something dumb, lose the first fight and then get snowballed immediately through first and second. And just like, don't ever like stop the snowball from happening. We just make mistakes and just throw a defense around almost every series that happens at least once um i felt like that's what happened on rialto that's just a thing that our team uh, does sometimes we had a period at the beginning of the season where it was happening a lot then we had a period where it was much much less of an issue and now we're starting to have that happen again so um that's something that the staff is talking with the players about about what we can change internally to make us go back to where we were a little more consistent and having that mm. not happen but I mean, we we basically did that on, on second point of Blizzard World as well, right? We had a pretty good hold on first, and then we just didn't have a defense at all on second and kind of threw all of the advantage that we had built on first point. So it's something that we have to shore up as a team if we want to be competitive in a, a best-of-five series, right? Mm-hmm. Did you guys uh, prepare specifically for Dallas um, in this? Because you you essentially were given... Uh, two scenarios, right, where if uh, Vancouver won or if Toronto run won and you were able to make your picks, um, was the was Dallas the team that you prepared the most for or prepared? Yeah, Dallas for? was the only team we Dallas was the only team we prepared for in both scenarios. Uh, no one picked us and Dallas was left to play us. Um, so we knew who we were going to play and what time. We were going to play them as soon as they did this like midweek draft thing that they did. Um, and again, credit to the league. I think that was a great uh, and fast adaptation to where 
Um, the teams that were the 9 to 12 seed in NA weren't going to know their opponents and also weren't going to know what time during the day that they had their match on Friday. So that meant that there's like an eight-hour window that you can play. So that makes it really hard to make sure that you're warmed up and prepared and ready to play the match. Um, whereas all the the higher-seeded teams that you're playing know exactly what their time slot is. So that's just kind of like a silly way to give a seeding advantage, in my opinion, right? That's just not really a, a good way to reward the higher-seeded team. So they went ahead and, and did what they could to fix that in the midweek. Um, so big credit to the league for making that adaptation, honestly. It made things a lot better for us and the other low-seeded teams. Um, but, yeah, we knew it was Dallas. We were prepared for Dallas. Um, we knew what sort of comps that they were going to want to play. Like we, we were prepared. Um, it was not an issue of preparation. At all. I would argue that we were probably one of the more prepared teams in the, in the tournament for sure. We were <laughs> very, yeah, we were, we were on top of things. We just didn't show up on the day, unfortunately. So how tournaments be <laughs> how tournament. Well, I mean, let's, let's talk about this tournament because this was a pretty big deviation from um, what we've been doing for the past few months. So from a coaching perspective, like just a, a how do you, how do you like the may melee tournament format uh, compared to the like more uh, straightforward, just kind of here's 28 games in a row uh, league structure that we were getting before may melee was announced. Yeah, I mean, having a tournament is just a giant improvement, right? It was one of the biggest uh, weaknesses of this this season's format, even before COVID became an issue, right? Was there was supposed to be like this one mid-season tournament, and that was all we were going to get besides regular season games. And obviously, over the first two seasons, all the most hype matches, all the series that like everyone really like remembers and we're super exciting and we're great. We're all stage playoff series, except for like the times mayhem almost lost to Shanghai in season one, right? Like <laughs> all, all the other like big, and like uh, Washington upsetting Vancouver in season two, right? Yeah, but it's like yes. overwhelmingly the big, like memorable, exciting moments that everyone loves were stage playoffs. So I love the fact that we're back to having a playoff. I love the fact that we're back to having a bracket. That's so much more exciting. It's so much more fun. It's it's I want to compete in a bracket format also having just a regular match each week is it's just such a kind of like boring slog through the season and I would much rather have this uh, this tournament format I'm so glad that we're going to that um, and I hope that we have some similar um, tournaments next season as well I have no idea what the format will look like but I hope that we look at this and say hey this bracket was really really good um let's push more into that i think they can still do things better with the format um i think having matches start on friday when some teams had matches on the previous sunday so you give monday as like one off day and then you only have three days to prepare for your first yeah. match that's definitely less than ideal i hope that they there's some sort of solution um that can happen there uh i think that also, the short week having a new hero pool, whether it's no hero pool or there are bans, I think could be changed. I would love to see that extended. Um, I also think maybe the map pool being 
totally open at 14 maps. That was definitely the biggest difference for us preparation-wise is we felt that we couldn't prepare except for very specific situations. We couldn't prepare specific strats. We couldn't prepare a bunch of like planned rotations and planned positions. Like if we want to play dive on this map, we could, if it's the dive mirror, how do we push? Mm. If it's against double shield, how do we push? If it's against a Ryan comp, how do we push? We can't really prepare all that for 14 different maps, right? That's just not going to happen. So we had to focus a lot more on just comp play style, how we want to play certain matchups, what swaps we want to make into certain matchups and stuff that could be applied on every map, um, which I think just lowers the gameplay a decent amount. You don't get to see like fun, cheesy strats because no one has time to, to do any of them. Um, so yeah, I think, I think there are some changes they can make or improvements they can make, but I mean, the fact that we have a tournament at all, is great and i think we saw a decent increase in viewership just a huge increase in general excitement and positivity about the overwatch league both in the overwatch community and the esports community as a whole i i mean obviously we didn't perform the way we wanted to in the main melee but i'm i'm really really happy with just what it's done for the league as a whole yeah i saw real quick yeah go ahead yeah i was just gonna say we didn't get to a hundred thousand last week just so you no, know. we did not. Yeah, but uh, the the cool thing is, like, the the guy that I think his name is Collins, who writes uh, specifically about Dallas, had the AMA numbers in his article, and I think the usual AMA, so average minute viewer, whatever that uh, metric is, but it's like an industry standard metric now. So we had 30k usually through the throughout the regular season is what I recall from the article, and now it was at 65. That's nuts in comparison. Of course, oh, tokens sure are on top of that, um, but also certainly the, the format, right? Like, yeah, we didn't get to 100K, and um, close enough, though. I think, I, I'm not sure where we peaked at. Um, yeah. Like high 60s? Yeah, like I, si say. I saw 65, 67, I think. Yeah. I'll take yeah. it. Again, like, it's not something that, like... I'd love for it to be at 100k. If it was at 100k, I think that'd be that'd be sick. But it was just too much too soon. I think maybe the next one with how much the break is going to impact it, and possibly any kind of changes that they're going to be doing with you know June or July or whenever this the next one's supposed to happen. That that definitely could. So I'll it's take it. 85k was peak apparently. Yeah, I mean, wow. 85k is really high. That's incredible, especially for a, a YouTube stream of an esports yeah. event right yeah. that's not where you're going to super high numbers and i also think that we can't look at that number and think that drops impacted it as much as drops would have made an impact like on twitch or mm -hmm. if they were fully actually sure. integrated on youtube because i it, it was awkward enough to like watch on uh the overwatch league website yeah. to be able to get the drops that i i I'm hesitating in saying that like a big number of that increases drops. Yeah, it, it's it just, it was just, a, mm. honestly, it was just a hassle. And I hope the league finds a way to get the drops working on YouTube soon, because I think the, the system that they have right now probably does not actually grow the viewership by that much, especially compared to what drops did for us uh, on Twitch. So. Mm, yeah. Sure. It always felt like just judging by... The amount of AFK viewers we had after streams in, in the seasons before, 
it was around right around like 30k viewers that were farming tokens like mm -hmm. maybe maybe a little bit less but yeah these numbers are definitely not represented uh on youtube um i also felt like when i was watching on overwatchleague.com i had way more buffering for some reason and uh it like my 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 I kept, chrome I kept tabs died I kept having to 2x like my playback speed way more yeah. often on the website than I do just hmm. on YouTube itself. Strange. Yeah. And for some reason, I so th then I got fed up and went to MLG uh, TV. Oh, yeah. And they don't have the stream there anymore, but they had the YouTube stream. And for some miraculous reason, it looked better and was more smooth for me from there. It makes no <laughs> sense. Like, it makes absolutely no sense. But, um, yeah, I, I think in general, um, you also have to consider that this entire f format change, I think, yes, okay, the initial uh, tournament gives some sort of hype because it's new, but mm. I also think that we shouldn't undervalue the factor of, okay, people tuned in and now it's, you know, in their minds, like, I actually, this was a pretty good experience. Like, next time when the tournaments come on, let me tune in for those yeah. rather than maybe regular season matches. And maybe that will actually bring an increase in viewership instead of you know like the ebb, ebb and flow of seasons where it's like it, during the mid-season because people are sort of fed up and i think also the break now helps with viewer fatigue a lot oh yeah um i think honestly this this might even grow still even though we're I think so. mid season i think it oh, yeah. should no yeah. I, I think it will i think it will yep. and and i think like some people have expressed like worries about what if um like it's just one team just kind of like stomps everyone and it's not a very competitive or a very fun tournament. And it's like, there's always that chance. I feel like this season, the format, just having hero pools change things all the time, makes it a little harder for that to happen. Maybe a little yeah. less likely, but if we look back at all the different stage playoffs and postseason playoffs that we've had in overwatch league, basically the closest thing we've had to that was the season two postseason where shock just kind of smashed after their first round loss to Atlanta. But even that was still um, like hype and a really great playoffs. And it still obviously started out with shock uh, losing in the first round. And I don't mm. think that we need to make these tournaments into double elimination. I think that'd just be too many uh, matches for like a weekend style tournament. But I think that it's pretty likely that the tournaments are going to keep being exciting and keep producing high quality uh series so so when it comes to double elim where do you kind of fall on paring down the number of teams being eligible to add in double elimination is that does that you know sound enticing are you excited by that i think you would have to pare down the number of teams a very large amount because mm -hmm. of how many games double elim adds yeah of course um it would have to be like only four teams or something like that per region mm -hmm. and that's just that's yeah. one of the other things that i'm not a huge fan of in this format where for example um like mayhem Guang guangzhou being like the first seed in the tournament mm -hmm. um i mean i guess that's not the biggest deal but the 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 big problem that i have is you can just win one set in Asia in the bracket and get those bonus wins in your record. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's not the case in NA. You have to make it yeah. through more rounds. And I'm not sure what the convenient fix to that is, but that's one thing that I don't like about the format. And 
I think if you had to go double Elim and lower it to like four teams or whatever, that would also like really heavily punish the NA teams versus the Asian teams, right? They, so, yeah. So. Go go ahead, yes, guy. Sorry, you last like night. the I think the the big issue also with with um like rewarding people with these extra wins, which I think is good as an incentive that people take it seriously, yeah, and which they probably would anyway. But um, the problem is that they are very different strengths of schedule within four games, right? Like, it, okay, for Florida, it didn't really matter because they were a good team, but I think they qualified like by playing. Titans, Boston, Justice. Yeah, like that's that's a that's not three wins. Then that's automatically four wins, right? Yeah. And um, having these change after another as a just as a qualification and seeding method is slightly pro problematic. Though I don't know what you could realistically do yeah. uh, other than increase that amount, and that would then decrease the amount of tournaments that you could. Uh, theoretically playing right yeah. see in my mind i actually feel that the tournament does a good job of reducing the issues because of strength of schedule actually because mayhem and us for example because of our like position within the league because of we're we're atlantic teams and we're in the, the southern area because of the homestands we already went to early in the season, stuff like that. We have had an easy strength of schedule, okay? We have, and we're going to continue to have an easier strength of schedule than West Coast teams, okay? The, mm -hmm. the, the Pacific division in NA is more competitive. That's just a fact, right? Mm -hmm. So what this does is it means that Mayhem was always going to have some easy dubs because of the division they're in. Yep. But now for them to actually get the, the big payoff and all these extra wins, they have to beat these other teams in very important series. Mm -hmm. And to that me, it actually helps deal with that issue where the West coast teams, maybe they come in with a, a lower seed because they didn't have the easy wins. You can argue that I think Valiant like came in top four. I don't think a lot of people would have expected that. Mm -hmm. Um, but they end up having the ability to beat these East Coast teams and get a bigger payout than they do when they beat them just in a regular season game. So I, I think that it actually helps deal with kind of the disparity in strength of schedule that we're going to be forced to have to end out the season because the league is split yes. um, in NA and Asia. So I'm, I actually think it, it, it helps in NA. I think it is not as helpful in Asia uh, maybe it's a little detrimental in Asia, but in NA, I think it, it helps me feel like the strength of schedule isn't as big a deal. I feel like the strength of schedule advantage that we have has been reduced uh, because of these tournaments. So. so we haven't really touched on this specifically, but with the May Melee format, there you had three seeding matches uh, over three mm -hmm. weeks. How did you like that as an ability to determine those seeds? Would you, would you change that necessarily like what if what if we didn't do like we just use results from the previous month to determine seeds for the following month and then made a four-week double elimination tournament i think the issue with that um i think in theory it's not bad i would want to probably do like a group stage at the start as opposed to just a one big old double elim bracket mm, sure. um but the problem that i have 
with doing something like that is the whole it, it's hard to make rewards for a big bracket like that be wins and losses like notches in those columns mm. um especially if you have something like a group stage and there's still a big disparity in games played from like us and other teams for example yeah, i don't true. know if we still have the most games played but i'm pretty sure before the may melee we had more matches played than any other team in the league and there are team and there's a reason why vancouver had to play four qualifying matches instead of everyone else playing three because yeah. teams have to catch up in matches played so i think for if we wanted to commit to a tournament uh format for next season when we don't have so much ground to make up i think doing something like a month-long tournament would be really interesting but i think that for this season it would be hard to do because there's just such a big disparity still in the amount of matches different teams have played makes sense yeah yeah, and do you guys are the the North American team with the most or Western team, I suppose, with the most games played. The only other teams that have fourteen games are the Chengdu Hunters and the Guangzhou Charge. Yeah, so, so we're tied tied for first. Yeah, 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 yeah. Tied for first. Tied for first. Woo! Uh, yeah, I think I I would love to see, and I think the big thing comes away. So I I guess. To just kind of circle back on that though, what are your thoughts on like seeding matches at all? So you do these like three mm. weeks of seeding matches with uh I I've, I've seen arguments that they're they're completely negligible in stakes, and I've seen arguments that they they have way too much purpose in stakes because seeding is so important, especially uh top four getting the right top four getting the extra win. Um so uh, the, I, I've seen both sides of it and I've seen, I don't, I have feelings towards what I agree with, but like from your perspective is three weeks of one match seeding, like a, a good way to, to seed people into these tournaments, or would you like to see something maybe, uh, a bit different? So like everything with the format, it's, I don't think it's perfect. I think it could be better. I think if we could have a longer period of time between the tournaments and have it not just be three weeks, then it could feel a lot better. Um, I also think making hero pools last longer could make the seeds feel a little more accurate, right? If you have hero mm. pools last for two weeks um, and do like uh, three hero pool cycles, so like two weeks, two weeks, two weeks, and then a turn, then like a week off with no, and everyone practices no hero pools, and then they play um, a no hero pools tournament. Then obviously, I think the seeding would be way more uh, indicative of strength. I think it is interesting that the higher seed won every single match in NA. I think that um, even in systems that have a much better way of determining seeds that usually is not the case it's very rare for there to be that many matches played with zero upsets um so i think it's a, a fun like little tidbit or whatever something that happened but um i think they're fine i think there's not really a better solution again because we have not a lot of time left in the season and we have ground we have to make up and we want to keep things exciting um so i think that there might not be a significantly better way to do it but I think there could be some small tweaks. Um, but I think given the fact that we were doing another like monthly segment of time, not longer than that, whereas like stages in the past, obviously were longer than a month, uh, you mm -hmm. know, 10 weeks. Um, 
So I think given the fact that we're only working with a month period of time, um, that having one match a week, three seating matches is, is a pretty reasonable way to do things. Uh, last question yeah. on the May Melee stuff then is uh, one other really interesting um, addition to the format was loser's pick. And so Overwatch League in the first half of the season, we actually saw quite a few 3-0s. And just in general, Yiski, you I think you were the one who had the number on that. Wasn't it something like 50% or something? It was it was at times over 50%, but it ran, landed right around. So before May Melee, it was like 46, I think, something like that. Yeah, so we'll just round and say roughly 50% of matches ended in a 3-0. Um, and obviously that I, 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 that was way lower this, this week, right? Yes, oh, yeah. And, Only like five. So one, yeah. at best, uh, one third when I looked. Right. So um, based on that, loser's pick is one of those things that um, people have attributed to the reasoning for these closer matches. You lose a map, you get to pick your... You, you get to pick the next map and give your team a leg up in, in performance. How do you like loser's pick um, as just like as a coach who has to prepare? And what, how does that affect how you prepare for matches um, at all? So I think it was not just loser pick, but a combination of loser pick with a big map pool in a short week. Um, I think that the fact that we saw less three O's, it might be like people like that more, but I think that's a sign that we did something wrong. Um, because I think if all season long, the better teams are getting three O's and then all of a sudden that's not happening anymore. Yeah. We did, we did something bad. Um, mm -hmm. the better team should be able to win and win cleanly. That's just how it's been in overwatch for a, a long time right it's very easy to make a small gap between teams look like very big um so I, i'm not really a fan of the fact that there were less three o's from a competitive standpoint like whatever maybe it's better for viewership maybe it's not i don't know mm -hmm. but um I, I think that maybe finding a way to reduce the map pool could help with that could make that better but the way i feel about losers pick and like preparing as a coach um, it's something that's been around in the history of Overwatch in like a lot of different scenarios, including in Overwatch League. So I think um, it's something where there are some like established ideas on how it works and what you need to do. And it, in this case, in this week, I think it more came down to not we're really good at this map or we're super prepared on this map, but just the style of comp that we have committed to is good on this map or the style of comp that the, our opponents have committed to is bad on this map because teams were so much less prepared than they were for their average matches. Mm -hmm. um, and really, I think that lower level of preparation is what reduced the the 3-0s. So I would love to see loser pick continue, but I really hope that they um, like reduce the map pool directly. Like I really think we should not have to prep 14 maps. Um, Unless we have like a month to prep, yeah. like you do yeah. for like the postseason of the actual Overwatch League, right? So I think that that was the biggest factor, and that made loser pick like much more powerful than it normally would be because you mm -hmm. can't be prepared for all the scenarios like you usually would be. But like us, for example, we 
knew every match we played, even if we like made finals, we're the lower seed every single match, so we never get to pick a cough map. So we made sure that we had good strategies prepared for all the hybrid maps because that's map two. And we wanted to feel like if the other team gets to have an advantage and that they're going to be significantly overprepped compared to us on the control map, that we want to have that same advantage going into hybrid consistently. Um, so that is something that we did specifically. Like, for example, our Blizzard World pick, we had like a cheesy Mercy strat uh, for first point defense. And like stuff like that, we had prepared for the hybrid map so that we could counterpick people and kind of try and nullify that seed advantage. Mm. What, what I always found a little bit limiting about the way we do uh, maps in Overwatch is like ever since the introduction of like having to have a rotation of different game modes within a series, like it feels like in a sense unsatisfying to, yes, you so premise you need to cut down the number of maps that's it's just not a good thing to have pre uh, people prepare as much but then like if you cut down you probably cut can't cut down on which um map types you're playing which forces you to then be in a in a pick situation where it's like maybe let's say eight maps because um, or nine, really, because there's always the possibility of having to play three Koth maps for whatever happens in a best of five. So, um, like, how big of a of a choice is it to have the choice between one or the other within um, within a map type, right? Like, so you lose the first map, and then we cut down the map pool. You have two choices of uh of that map type that's coming up like do you think that's a that's an advantage a strategical one or should it be or what what are your thoughts there i mean so what i would do if i wanted to reduce the map pool here is i would say one of each of the um map maps like one from each map type needs to be removed so there's only mm -hmm. 10 maps instead mm -hmm. of 14 right and you can do something like let the top four teams each like ban a map or something i don't care and like you can't if someone if the first seed bans a control map you're not allowed to ban control maps now and you ban one of like each type or okay. i don't know but something mm -hmm. like that right so that it lowers the map types but uh or the the maps within each map type i think is what's super important but like for example the hybrid maps for Melee were blizzard world king's row hollywood right and this for this tournament, there was very much a um, kind of a three metas that were, were the three types of compositions, the broad archetypes, all three, at least in NA, were decently represented. There wasn't very much Rhine in Asia. There was uh, like Double Shield, like uh, London just hard committed to Double Shield. They never yep. played anything else, right? Most of the teams played Dive. There was some Double Shield thrown in in some situations, but there wasn't really any Rhine. In NA, there was Rhine comps that Philly and Valiant played um, a decent amount. There were lots of teams playing Double Shield, and then there were uh, Dive teams as well. Like we played Dive, Philly also played Dive. Um, but yeah, so there were three like archetypes of comps and in those three hybrid choices, they favor each of the three comps, right? So King's Row favors the Rhine comps, Blizzard World favors the dive comps, or I'm sorry, the, the double shield comps and Hollywood favors the dive. 
So it gave you that very clear option when you're picking of I'm playing this style. If my opponent is playing a different style, I can just pick the map that, that favors my style and doesn't favor theirs, right? So it added a, it was a very clear delineation in my mind on like which maps you needed to pick. Mm. And um, it wasn't as strong in the other, uh, in the other map types, but it was still relatively there. Like um, Anubis is just kind of bad for everything. It's just a bad map, I think. Um, in Hanamura, dive is like really bad and really hard. You either have to play, you know, the double shield or the rush. And then Volskaya, you definitely cannot play the rush. You can play the dive or the double shield, right? And then in control also, there's like Nepal and Lijong, which are really good for rush. Ilios and Oasis, they're both... Um, well, Ilios is good for dive. Busan is good for dive and double shield. And Oasis, you can play anything. So there, there were like fun kind of uh, guide, guiding ideas on like which maps teams should pick based on those matchups. Mm. Um, but I think that reducing it to only two maps of each type still gives that interesting strategic choice. You really don't need three in my yeah, opinion no mm-hmm. i agree i think that even looking in the future like may melee of 2021 when now we have push a whole nother game type that we have to learn and and you guys have to prepare for the the number of maps that are going to come with that different game mode like we should already start to pare down the maps because you're going to have to learn well, we'll little... see i mean i'm still holding out that push will get added and 2cp will just get removed Okay. Um, oh, so, <laughs> so we might end up with the <laughs> same sense. number okay, of interesting. Uh, map types. That's that, that's that's my is hope that, is in that, my heart. I have no, no reason way. to think that is happening at all. Right, 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 right. Yeah. My, is that what you wish. prefer? What do you mean? You'd prefer that? You'd prefer CP two CP to removed and control to still be like the most most important game type? Oh yeah. I mean, control okay. has its issues or whatever, but two CP is just a trash can game mode, and all the maps are awful. Just please take it out of the game. I was I, I was like, okay, I know I can get him on hero pulls. I know I'll get some spice there, but I'm I'm pleasantly surprised that we're we're flaming yeah. 2CP. This is good. No, I, I hate 2CP. You so can't be a competitive if, Overwatch if, podcast if, if you don't flame 2CP. If Gibraltar wasn't in the game, then like however many 2CP maps there are, whatever, like five or something, would be the five worst maps in the game if it weren't for Gibraltar. Like 2CP is just garbage. It's terrible. Fair enough. Fair Gibraltar enough. is your worst map. Yeah, yeah, I think Gibraltar is the worst map in the game. Jesus not, Christ. Not Paris? <laughs> no. I think it's Gibraltar. All right. Okay. It's such a tenured map. I, I like, I, I think I can see why, but I'm also like, it's like dude, it's that's Gibraltar. Like, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it. I get it. It is what it is. I also understand it. Uh, let's, mm. let's talk What's about the, the best map. What's the best Ooh, map, yeah, real quick? Yeah. Ooh. Um, I don't know. I like maps that the I like maps that let you play a lot of different um, a lot of different styles. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe Oasis. Yeah, maybe Oasis. CCP is just fun. It's my favorite one to play. I'm you. like that's bold. Bold of you. Wait, did I say two CP? Yeah. yeah, I meant control. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was like, "That's was like, bait right there." That is bait. No, I meant control. I'm sorry, I'm distracted. I've got timestamps and things good. to keep track of. Simmer down, you chat. Jeez, mm. you bunch of 
piranhas just yeah. Yeah. oh i like hollywood a lot too i like hollywood a lot mm-hmm. another temple yeah Double interesting in hollywood you know ones. it's an og map mm-hmm. yeah just og uh okay let's let's talk a little bit about the houston outlaws um and i'm going to timestamp this just so i don't forget perfect I think one of the recurring themes that we've seen uh, questions about um, from the outlaws, whenever we've seen you play, you know, we're always live watching you guys play uh, in, in Yiska's discord. And uh, recently hydration has started playing a ton in the main tank role. And we've seen Muma uh, sitting. Um, Can you give us any insight as to uh, why we're seeing hydration and why we're not seeing Muma? Sure. So I think in general, um, they're both really strong players. I think Muma has about as much experience as any main tank in the Overwatch League right now, Um, has a really high mechanical peak, um, and some comps he is just insanely uh, good at. And I think that Hydration also has a ton of experience in Overwatch, just not as much at the main tank role, obviously. But he's just a very, very uh, flexible player with a really, really good mind for the game. And he's really good at, like, thinking on his feet and helping the team adapt. Um, So that was definitely a bonus for having him in this week, which is a short week, right? So we need to be very adaptive. We need to be willing to change our strategy or if the opponent is pulling out a strategy we don't expect, right? That's a big thing. But we've been trying to give um, playtime to hydration when we can, depending on our opponent, depending on the meta. The reason why Muma didn't play at all the last two weeks was because um, the week leading into the May Melee, at the beginning of the week on the first day, um, he was having some like discomfort in his wrist um so and we it's a very long season we would prefer not to have to send anyone to a doctor or a medical facility during covid right so anytime anyone says i'm feeling sick i'm feeling burned out i'm feeling sore or injured we instantly say rest 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 we don't want to overburden or push anyone there's so many people that are having burnout issues this season so many teams that are having problems with players getting worn out we just way way prefer being safe rather than being sorry so we were like it was it's not a serious injury muma is not like hurt or something but we were just like hey we're just gonna let hydration play this week and then going into May Melee, it's a very short week. We felt that it was a very similar meta, and we were like, we'll just use Hydration again for the May Melee because we're going to be playing very similar comps. We're going to be playing a similar style, and the adaptation options that he gives us is just kind of like a cherry on top, right? But mm. that's the reason why for the last two weeks, Muma hasn't played any maps. So and, so, and we've seen this with a few um, different teams who have had players sit these past two weeks. Um, is there any, like, frustration or anything going on there when you have to miss, like, the actual playoff portion of the the playoffs? Or was, you know, like, it was it something that he, he wanted to? I mean, it's just something where we're a team that has a very big roster and players just get rotated in and out at, 
like most of our positions and it's something that we just talk about as a team and we're we just make the decision as a staff and it's not just a staff decision like we talk to the individual players that will or won't play um about how they feel what their comfort comfortability is um in a given week in a given meta it's very like it's a it's a team collaborative decision ultimately it's a staff decision but we don't just decide and then no one else gets a, a a say in the process um but it's not something that we've really had an issue with in our team this season everyone's been pretty like mature about everything and very much like i want what's best for the team let's figure out what is best for the team and do that together um and that's why we've been able to use so many players because mm. um playing to our individual player strengths is something everyone's on board for ultimately everyone just wants to win um, so yeah it, it was not really an an issue for us at all like it's not an issue for jexy when he sits out for some maps or some weeks when we just want to play like zen bap all the time because we have raucous and repel those guys are really really good at those heroes you know mm. um so yeah it's it's not an issue that we've we've had i think we do a good job of communicating with everyone talking with everyone and kind of preempting a lot of those problems i know that you mentioned on twitter fairly recently uh, talking about how like flexible hydration is and you're just kind of praising him for this this kind of feat that not many people can can really boast has it been fun for you as a coach to kind of you know theoretically look at how he works within this team and how he might work in these different compositions like how could you could you talk about who he is for this team and how how fun it has been or not fun i'll, I'll leave that question up to you um and and, and working with the outlaws and working with hydration in that system yeah, I mean, Hydration's uh, a really funny, like, goofy guy. Um, and maybe people don't realize that just because his kind of persona or his reputation is that he's pretty quiet, almost mm. like a thoughtful guy. He's a goofball, bro. He <laughs> He's just always making, like, the, the dumbest jokes and, like, these just groan inducing puns all the time. And, like, that's that's who he is in the team. He's, he's actually so funny and such a great... Uh, part of the team he's really positive and he also has a ridiculous mind for the game not only does he just like understand the the game on a competitive level and competitively mm. but he understands the literal game like all the mechanics all the weird quirks in the engine all the bugs all the spots you can get to in every map he has this unbelievable like encyclopedic knowledge of the literal game of overwatch not like professional play right mm. so he's he's just has so many like fun parts um of who he is as a player and as a person that he brings to the team um as far as the flexibility comment i made um i think that in general the players that get praised as like oh these players are so flexible and the ones that come to mind are like rascal and hotba right yeah. and absolutely nothing against those players but that narrative just really tilts me um, because I don't think Rascal is a particularly flexible flex DPS. Like the fact that he could play Baptiste is like not a big deal. I don't understand why everyone cares so much about mm. that. I don't understand why everyone cares that Hotba played Tracer two years ago. Like it, <laughs> these are not overly flexible players. Like they're, they're not. Like to mm. me, someone like Architect is more impressive than someone like Rascal because Rascal plays 
a bunch of flex DPS, and he can play all of uh, like all the flex DPS heroes. None of them to what I would consider like an elite level. Like I don't want there. There is no flex DPS hero that I'm like, oh yeah, I want Rascal in a one on one against the yeah. actual elite flex DPS mm. in the league, right? And but you look at someone like Architect, and he's terrifying on. Widow on McCree on these pure hit scan heroes, and he can pull out Genji, he can pull out Farah and beat your Genji ace and your Farah ace, right? Like that is an impressive, flexible player to me, not Rascal and, and Hoppa. And for me, hydration has shown more flexibility than anyone else in the league because I don't think anyone else has played four or five heroes at two different roles. That there is no one else that's done that. Hydration has played every main tank in the Overwatch League and, and performed well on every main tank hero in the Overwatch League. And he performs on flex DPS also. So I, I truly don't think that anyone else has that the level of flexibility or has shown it on the Overwatch League like level that Hydration has. And it annoys me that so many players get this extra hype and all this narrative mm-hmm. behind them as being a flexible player. Um, but for some reason, hydration gets like left out of that. Uh, so yeah, yeah, I hope that people take his, his flexibility more into account. I think, mm-hmm. uh, I also think too, that there is an inherent bias and in just like the overall performance of the teams. Like, at all, especially like on the shock, like yeah. you're a flex person. I mean, architect on the been shock, on the shock bro. True. True. That's yeah. true. And he doesn't get any of the love. I don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe since he's presumably going to be getting a bunch of starting time on the spark. Yeah. Um. Hopefully, he gets some of that that credit as one of the really, really flexible players. That was but, the second point. Yeah. Is that the yeah. other players like I think have a little bit more consistent, not not necessarily this year, but a little bit more consistent play time as well, right? Where. Mm. it's kind of weird sure. when you're really flexible, but you're also playing f- like whatever 60% of the time. That's a random percentage yeah. um, on, on these different roles. Like, does that make you look flexible or does that make you look like someone who's grinding something specific behind the scenes for a team? And what I don't think fans and even, even some people who are more than just casual fans quite can translate that that's not how overwatch works like i think there's mm. there's this kind of idea that like if i want if i play zarya today and coach dream here <laughs> tells me that you want me to play baptiste in three months any player can just grind baptiste for three months and boom they have a baptiste and now they're a flexible player like that's just not quite how yeah, I- and I mean, and that's that's the situation that Rascal was in last season, right? It's not like he was playing a bunch of other heroes before he started busting out the BAP and before Shock tried to use that as their, like, Sombra Goats counter so that they mm-hmm. wouldn't get forced off of Goats or their DPS comp counter so they could keep playing Goats into these, like, more difficult matchups people started coming up with later in the season. Um, and again, no disrespect to Rascal. Rascal is a very good DPS player. And he mm-hmm. can play basically every flex DPS hero that you need him to play, even though he's not going to take like 1v1s with the stars at that level. The, the stars almost never have that wide of a hero pool the way Rascal does. Like he, he is able to play a lot of different flex DPS, but I just think he gets overhyped as like the, the paragon of flexibility yeah. in Overwatch. And I, I, 
I don't think that that's accurate. And Krusty it's, has made it clear that he doesn't do the dishes either, which is, <laughs> you know, also. But a that's problem, not always so. bad. Like having a player that pushes pushes back. Of course, when you have a head coach that really hasn't missed yet, maybe it is. But uh, generally, like as a quality of a leadership fi figure. It's probably pretty good to have someone um, that doesn't just accept. I but... would say you don't want that person to be the flexible DPS and they're just swapping to all these dumb heroes all the time yeah. that you don't want them to swap to. I would say that you don't <laughs> yeah, want that okay, person to be your DPS. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You do not want that personality to yeah. come from them. Yeah, all right, yeah, yeah. Sure it's more like in the locker room. But the only other player that I can think of that fulfills the outline criteria Careful that here. you've given is... And I, I understand when there are arguments being made against that, but I think it's Ursta because of him having played uh, D.Va as well. Uh, like a, a couple, I think if, if you would Bro, look at the Blase's stats, probably a played of D.Va, who cares? True, true. <laughs> that is true. That is true. I mean, who cares? No, we'd, we'd have to think, we'd also have to played really Brig, about. bro. Brig's a support now. Like, I, I, I mean, I yeah. think Ursta is, to me, Ursta is a... a basically a better rascal i think urster can play all yeah. the flex dps in the game and be a superstar mm. on almost all of them that to yeah. me urster's one of the best like players in the world um and i hope that we get to see him a lot more this season i have no idea what the situation is um with him and like i wish him well i wish atlanta well i hope we get to see urster he's just too exciting a player mm. for us not to get to see him play um yeah. so i'd love to see more ursher but ursher i think yeah is is easily it, within yeah. the the caveat of like dps players the one that jumps out as being incredibly flexible and having incredible like high peaks especially yeah. if we see that flex in overwatch league right um which yeah. is the big thing we're yeah. missing right now uh, mm. i think uh moving on to this a little bit um Let's let's talk about uh, the outlaws and kind of COVID nineteen and um, some of those other I think situations you've kind of had and we we've discussed this we had you on I believe it was preseason or, or leading up to the season uh, we had you on and we asked you kind of where do you where do you feel like the outlaws rank and you said that you felt like you had a really good team and that we you know you you should realistically be a gatekeeping team to these playoff play, uh, these, these playoff spots. And like, I think we, I don't know if we set a specific number, but I, it's kind of in the 10 to 13 range or whatever. Um, not quite there at the moment. Um, and you know, that homestands canceled COVID's there. It's not like a, I, I don't think that this season is on the wish list, uh, for, you know, what, you were kind of hoping for as, as for the season as a coach. Um, but what are the emotions like in among the organization, the team, uh, the players, like how is everybody kind of holding up? And I, I know obviously that uh, you're not going to be like, it's horrible, man. Like no, like everybody's dying. Like nobody is happy. Uh, but like, if you could tell us, uh, talk to us about some of, you know, the struggles and successes that you've had through this, I think it would be really enlightening for uh, everybody listening at home. Sure. Sure. So I would say it's a good day if there's only two threats of violence, uh, made. No, no, I'm, I'm just kidding. Obviously. Um, I think a lot of team there, there's a lot of kind of horror stories floating around in the, 
the amongst the league of struggles different teams are having obviously most of this has not uh been publicized at all but a lot of teams and a lot of individuals and teams are just understandably having a really hard time right now um we're just in a uh situation globally that is not great um the league has been having some struggles adapting to that as well as adapting to other changes we made this season like the platform change um like the hero pool change like stuff that is not related to covid that is snowballed with covid to make things really hard really difficult um but i think we are one of the teams that is um doing a pretty good job of staying on top of that stuff. Um, like I said, anytime people are not feeling well, whether that's um, a physical thing or if it's just a mental thing, like, Hey, I'm just like burned out. I just need a break. We, we make sure that they have that time. And that's something that our large roster gives us the ability to do. And so some other teams that don't have the ability to do that, it's not, it, maybe it's not that the, the team and the staff like don't care. It's just, they literally don't have the personnel to be able to give some of their players a break. Right. Mm. So that's definitely a, a strength that our team has. And we feel like we're a team that when we play well, and when we play at our best, we are a, a good and very competitive team. So the fact that we haven't had a great start to the season is frustrating, but it's also pretty motivating that we feel like there are times where we play really well and we're a very scary team. Um, so it's very much like an attitude of like, we're so, we're so close. We keep getting like so close to being the, the team that we know we can be. And that keeps everyone motivated and, and working hard. And we're all kind of together on that goal mm-hmm. and people on the team, like people are just friends with each other. So, um, it's easy for us to like talk through certain issues and, um, make sure that everyone has people in the team that. Uh, can listen to them so everyone feels like they're heard and they have like allies and and friends within the team so i think that we're doing a a pretty good job all things considered obviously um even in a perfect situation during the season there are times where people are just going to be a little frustrated um or upset like that happens no big deal um it's just we have to you know, push through and deal with that as a team. And I think so far that we've, we've cleared all those hurdles, at least so far this season, right? There's still maybe half roughly of the season to go, but uh, so far I think we've been doing pretty well. You are and as you said it, you played a lot of, of matches so far. Um, you've, you're at 14, you're five and nine, I believe now. Uh, I yes. don't know if that includes May Melee or not, and I don't know how that it all not. calculates. So, uh, but you're, you, you're... you don't get losses for May Melee. You right. just get bonus wins, right? Right. Mm-hmm. So I guess the the ultimate question becomes, um, what uh, is this still the the team? Are you? Do you feel like that you're a on track or b able to take this? Um, Let's let's just go right on that. What's what's the goal? What's the second half of the se- ideal second half of the season look like for you guys? Like what what what's the goal um, for you guys moving forward? Um, I mean, obviously, like what I would love is for us to win the Overwatch League. Um, I think that that's a, a lofty goal given where we are uh, right now and in the season. Um, I think that. 
if you look at teams across the league, I mean, this is kind of like a BS consolation prize. This isn't what you want to be saying halfway mm-hmm. through the season, but I think you can say that um, outside of Florida, we have probably improved the most from the start of the season to where we are now, in my opinion. I think some other people would throw Valiant in that discussion, but that's just because they were dumb and underrated Valiant. Um, So, yeah, I I am sick of everyone acting like it's a huge surprise that Valiant is good. Um, But... So, so we're happy with that. We think we also still have a lot of uh, space until we hit the ceiling above us, right? We still have a lot more improvements that we, we can make and that we're working mm. to make. So I think that we can still uh, move up the ranks. I think our where we stand with our record and where we would be placed in a power ranking maybe aren't the same place. I think maybe our strength right now is better than our record. At least that's what I'd like to think. It's not a good record. Um, but realistically, I, I mean, I would be reasonably happy with top eight, top six in postseason. that I would be like, I'm not mad at how the season goes. If we end mm-hmm. up there, um, in my mind, uh, I would love to, you know, make the semis, make the finals, but that's, that's not a goal or a pressure that I want to put on myself given where we are in the season and just kind mm-hmm. of how this year has just worked in general. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would be personally pretty happy with, with top eight, top six in postseason. And I think that's still a high goal, right? That's not like I'm, yeah. I'm undercutting us or like selling us short. I think we would have to improve a lot to get there. I think we yeah. have that potential and I would be happy if we met that potential and made it there. Yeah. That's, let's not forget 0.5 was usually, where the cutoff was for plans last year. Mm-hmm. Um, like you're at mid-season point, if we assume everyone's, if we're trying to reach that uh, 28 season goal, so you would have to go plus four throughout the regular season, which would, all things considered, uh, and depending on your str- uh, strength of schedule going forward, would have to be considered a, a very good second half. Or you just win, yes, you know, yeah. June. You just win June, get an extra three wins. Makes a lot easier. I I do not know for sure, but I assume that there will be some significant differences between the postseason format uh, this year and what we've seen last year and the year before. So mm-hmm. I I mm-hmm. yeah I don't know how directly comparing it to the previous season will will like bear out. But when it comes to how you guys have you know progressed throughout the season one kind of narrative that really was shaped by that interview you did with sideshow was this idea that you guys really aren't showing what you're capable of in scrims you guys are this this team that performs and can beat some of these these names that maybe you haven't seen in the overwatch league yet or maybe you you haven't shown up on that day do you think that you have improved on that front of of bringing or transitioning how you're performing in practice to the stage and do you think that's a that's a valid narrative? Um, I mean, yes, it is a valid narrative. Unfortunately, I think if you ask um, most of the teams in NA, mm-hmm. we are a very good team, honestly, in scrims, and we scrim 
like the good teams every week sure, because sure. we perform so well in scrims. Um, Christopher and in chat, can you confirm? I, no, I'm just kidding. I think hmm. um, I think we also usually get a good read on the meta, and we get a good read on the meta early. And I think that's another reason why teams want to scrim us, but also why we perform well in scrims, right? Because we mm. figure out what's going to be good quicker than other people. Um, in most weeks, obviously not every week. Um, or we figure out what will work for us mm-hmm. faster than other teams figure out what they want to play. Um, but yeah, I think if you talk to most teams, we clearly overperform in scrims compared to our performance in matches. It's like, it's not close. And obviously that's frustrating. And that's been an issue of varying degrees during the season, early in the season, it was definitely like that. And then it got a little bit better. And then we're kind of slipping back into that again, but there are some things that we've fixed that Mm. haven't gotten worse again. It's just kind of other issues have popped up. There are new mistakes that we're making on stage that we have to fix that we weren't making at all before. Um, So, I mean, that's frustrating in its own way, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that we are still in that position. I think we've improved some of those things. And as of recent, um, some new on-stage specific mistakes have started happening that we, we're just going to have to tackle if we want to yeah, be the team that we, we are in scrims. Of course. I, one thing that Harsha rep- mentioned recently um, with, with Monty's new talk show was the idea that you guys kind of came into the season and still kind of had that old Houston stagnation in terms of style but are now or have since then adapted to really what works for you could you talk about that transition and that that evolution has that something do you agree with that kind of sentiment would you you kind of push back on harsh on that um i haven't seen the the podcast that he did with same spoilers thanks joe and packing and and them um I think I watched like the last five minutes and Harsha didn't say anything yeah. the whole time, mm-hmm. uh, which was pretty funny. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think we definitely came into what was clearly a very established outlaws team, uh, both mm-hmm. in the players and the approach to the game and the organization. And all of those things have changed since the off season, right? It's new ownership, it's new management, it's new coaches, there's new players. There's obviously, like, it's not like it's an entirely new roster, but there are new players added in that have been an important part of our successes when we have them uh, this season. So I I think that we did do a lot of uh, learning and discovering, not just in our in-game style, but just our team culture and how our players uh, work, how our team just kind of works, what sort of feedback works for us, what sort of strategies work for us, what our priorities need to be as a team. Um, And I think that all of those things look very different from what they looked like last season. Hmm. All right. Oh man, this one's going to, this one could be interesting or could be the the duddiest question from the, uh, from the entire episode. So uh, Hmm. here's, here's the thing. Um, there's obviously a lot of movement going on in the Overwatch League right now. The Justice are an, almost an entirely new team, um, losing Corey and Stratus, half losing Stratus, whatever. We're not, we're not going to quibble over that chat. Settle down. Uh, the Vancouver Titans obviously completely dismantling. Um, Overwatch League introduced 
14 day contracts, lowered the minimum number of players on a roster. Uh, can you provide any insight at, at all as to why uh, the Houston Outlaws, who you know, as you said, you're five and nine, you're you're gunning for like, man, what does it look like to be a, a playoff team or you know, a mid tier playing team into um, the end of the season playoffs, whatever that may look like. To your point, uh, any insight as to why we haven't seen uh, any new players or utilize the 14 day contracts for the Outlaws specifically? Um, I mean, in general, we feel like we made good moves in the offseason and that we acquired some really good talent to help fill out our roster in the offseason. We're at 11 players right now. So even if we did want to sign someone, it would only be one player. And I can't really think of a position where it's like the answer is a new player as Mm -hmm. opposed to the answer is us just playing up to our like potential and what we show every week in scrims already. Like I know already that we can be a good team. So I'm not certain that the approach of like, Oh, we just have to swap someone out and that will fix everything or even fix anything. Um, I'm not sure about that. I mean, maybe, but um, I, I just don't think that the problems that we're having are ones that are solved by, just like a, a quick upgrade or, or a patch up as far as a player move. Um, but as far as the 14 day contracts, I think that those were more put in place to help teams that are having like big struggles in the mid season. And um, obviously like Vancouver just totally replaced their entire team. But the, the biggest thing for the two E contracts from from my perspective on like why I would want to use them. Like I don't want to sign someone for two weeks that I think is like a good long-term solution on my team. I'm going to sign them to a real contract, bro. Why would I use a two week contract to do that? The reason two week contracts exist is because sometimes the player that you want to use or a player that's on your team can't be where they need to be to play right now because of COVID. Right. So, for for example, if Guangzhou wanted to sign someone to a two-week contract, if Nero is having issues with traveling back and forth because of visa stuff, that's a great use of a two-week contract in my mind. And I have no reason – this is not a leak. This is not any information. I have no reason to think that Nero is having any problems, right? But to me, that that jumps out in my mind as, okay, if I'm in that situation – that's when I want a two-week contract, when for some reason my player can't play. If my player has to travel for visa issues, and that's obviously really complicated right now in the midseason, or if one of my players gets sick and we don't know if it's COVID or not, we don't want them in the training facility, they need to be quarantined, they need to be isolated, whatever, sign a two-week contract. But if you're just looking to fix a, a issue in your team or fill a hole in the roster, I don't understand why anyone would want to use a two-week contract to do that. That's not really something that I think we will use at all this season unless one of those issues comes up. Like, I don't think any of our players that are on visas will have their visas need to be renewed or they will need to leave the country at all during the season. But if that happened and they couldn't come back, then we would look for that two-week contract. But I, I don't envision any other scenario, or maybe someone gets injured or something, but that's the only reason I think that we as an organization would would use a two-week contract. In, in terms of other recruitments, um, I'm thinking, like, 
Okay, how do I phrase this so I don't get you in Hell's Kitchen? Um, <laughs> like the idea, for instance, that you're currently one of the smaller coaching staffs. Is that fair to say? Because I, I, I'm not sure how involved uh, Kumat is in in the entire process, but you Kumat's on the org side. He's not a. He, he's not. Um, do you have Hurek working in a coaching capacity? Yeah, it's, you have it's Hurek yourself, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't think I mean, that. I, I, I mean, that's small. not a big staff, but I think yeah. a lot of teams are using three, maybe four people. I think that's like the standard the norm. Yeah. You got Valiant yeah, running yeah. with two. Yeah, yeah, I think now it's getting there. Uh, I, I I would have to look at it. I, I, maybe I'm just mis misremembering, and I thought like four people is just uh, the standard. Maybe that was the case in season two. Maybe I'm completely mistaken. But um, is there like... A position on the staff so far let me let me muse into the void and then you can maybe take it elsewhere if, if that's too hot sure sure, sure. um like <laughs> if my team is performing very well in scrims mm. and then isn't performing very well in um in or not up to the same standard in regular season matches my mind goes mm -hmm. to what is the disconnect there is there something that a performance coach or a mental health professional could be fixing um is do you think like if you let, let's say money rains from from the skies and you want to invest it into a, uh into a staff position or or you could also sign a player whatever whatever you want like i'm, I'm giving you right now to an okay uh uh to an okay to just spend anywhere where would you put it you, and you could sign a new player or you could you could also just spend it on yourself <laughs> and your happiness um, increases. If, your I, if I just have 200 K I can do anything with, mm -hmm. um, besides bring on tactical crash podcast know. is like the, the, <laughs> the official podcast of, of the Houston of outlaws. outlaws. Yeah, I don't know. Exactly. Yeah, no, we, we, we already have, um, some podcast yeah. affiliation through our ownership Beasley. We have the checkpoint XP podcast guys. So, um, I'm sorry. You will not be able to take that. Uh, that's Damn, okay. okay. Oh, podcast all right. Of, uh... all right. It's done. That's not gonna, it's all right. I'll, I'll, well. I'll tell Dallas that you guys are looking. I'm, I'm sure envy wants some more, uh, content. Uh, they guys, yeah. they, I can't work with, with the fast and Jane. I would rather um, stop podcasting completely. Okay. Well, there we go. Um, I don't know. I, I that's a really, uh, <laughs> that's a really weird um, question as far as just like trying to think of mm -hmm. where I think the biggest um, improvement we could make would be. I'm not, I'm not actually sure. I haven't put a lot of thought into that. I don't really worry about the budget side of things too much, mm -hmm. especially in the mid season. Um, but as to your kind of, sort of other question about like a performance coach or like a sports psychologist or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, I think in general, that's just a really, really good thing for every team to have. I think that it's undervalued in esports in general. I think it's undervalued in overwatch. Um, I think that it can provide a lot of strengths. Um, I think that during my time on Hurricane, I don't know if this is still the case, but when I was on Hurricane, uh, we had access to 
um, a performance coach. I'm not sure what their official title was, but that it was employed by C9 um, that used to work with Navy SEALs before they went on their missions. Oh, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Um, which is like a cool thing and immediately lends credibility to these like esports players that are like young dudes that don't want to let other people tell them that they should take a deep breath for four seconds, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. If they're like, maybe SEALs do this, then they're, oh, okay. Yeah. No, yeah. Uh, maybe there's um, something to this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, uh, but I felt like C9 had a good way of doing that because it can be hard to justify like a full-time salary of a performance coach for just like an Overwatch League team. You know yeah. what I mean? That, that, that could be hard to justify. But where C9 does it, where they can have someone employed that can help all their different teams, I feel like that's a, a really smart solution. Again, I don't know if that's still um, how they do things, but I liked that a lot at the time, and I felt that Hurricane got a lot of value out of, out of it. Um, so, yeah, I think sports psychology is great. I think it could be used a lot more in esports in general and Overwatch as well. Interesting. So getting, getting as, Weldon Green on to fit the green team, huh? So no, no comment. All right, next. Yes, guys. Shoot. <laughs> question. Go. <laughs> um. Okay. So then let's. I think if I'm not misinterpreting John's notes here, um, and I also don't have the timestamp for him. So um, if unlucky, uh, that's a that's a big unlucky. But um, maybe more towards general questions. And I suppose we can just directly, because it sort of fits now, um, go to Christopher's question and ask sure. what's every uh, coach's role within the Outlaws and what does a day-to-day look like for you guys? So the, um, the coaching staff is obviously Harsha as the head coach and then Hureg and I are both assistant coaches. Um, so Harsha, I mean, Harsha wears a lot of hats Within the organization, um, we currently do not have a, a GM in title. Um, we have obviously making hirings in the middle of COVID is awkward and difficult. Yeah. Um, so a lot of the conversations with the league that you know a GM would be having, Harsha is having. Um, so he has a lot of kind of extra. Uh, things he has to juggle uh but in general as far as the competitive team stuff he's very much uh like whatever in every scrim like present all the time very much um working on what our team vision is like making sure our team identity is there making sure all the players are like on the same page and understand everything um basically just running the the team um, and then who Reg and I are much more uh, like strategic minded and focused where we're thinking very much about what's the best comp this week um, based on our, our maps, what lineups should we use, um, you know, doing reviews with the team, doing team VOD reviews, doing one-on-one VOD reviews um, with the players. And as far as our day-to-day goes, it kind of shifts throughout the week. So at the beginning of the week, um, we are doing, we're playing more blocks and having less review. So we'll do three blocks a day at the beginning of the week because experimentation 
and iteration is really important when it's a it's a fresh meta right and doing a, a team review or a one-on-one review when we have no idea if we'll play those same heroes or that same comp is just a waste of everyone's time um so we'll talk about like broad things or have like short five to ten minute reviews after like hey how did you feel about this comp we played today how did you feel about this comp the enemy played today what do we want to look at in our next block what do we want to look at tomorrow but more just like a small discussion um or like a meeting with the team in between every block and then later in the week uh we'll have two blocks a day but we'll have um a review before the day starts with the whole team we'll have a review at the end of the day with the whole team and then usually before our team review and then maybe in between our blocks um we'll have one-on-ones with some of the players um between like five and 30 minutes talking about you know how they should use their cooldowns in this matchup where they should position on the maps uh stuff like that so it, it kind of shifts as we get closer to the match how do you uh, communicate with the Korean players in, in these one-on-one coaching sessions? Is there anyone um, that has solid English on the, on the team? Yes, yeah. I mean, obviously, uh, Hureg can, uh, Hureg can um, communicate with them very well. Obviously, is is fluent in Korean. But who is that? Don't be distracted. My wonderful partner, Riley. Um, Hi, Riley. I don't know if I can see myself. But uh, yeah, not like all of the players understand English well enough and Overwatch English well enough that I can do one-on-ones with them. It's mm. not a problem at all. Um, Jexy and Mecco have like very good English um, as far as my experience with uh, Koreans on Western teams. Um Mecco obviously doesn't talk a lot like publicly or whatever, but he, he actually speaks very, very good English. Um, and Rappel at the beginning of the season was still good enough in Overwatch English that it wasn't a problem, but he's actually put a lot of time in working on his English and working with Sophie, who gives English hmm. lessons to all our Korean players and staff and also gives Korean lessons to the majority of our English-speaking players and staff. So all of us have been working really hard um, as a team and props to our org for wanting to invest in these lessons for everyone and make sure we all have these resources. Um, but yeah, Rappel's English has uh, improved a lot this season. Credit to him for working on that. But even at the start of the season, it was to the point where talking about Overwatch was not a problem. It was just having other conversations sometimes would be a little more labored, but Overwatch conversations have never really been a stumbling block. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, we kind of talked about the coaches and their role. I kind of wanted to double back to another thing that we kind of talked quite in depth about with Christopher and the fusion was the difference between an emotional and kind of like the strategic leader, this duality. Mm. Who would you say kind of uh, wears those hats within the roster? Who would you say is that the emotional leader who kind of like keeps people, you know, on track or brings them down when they're too hyped or, you know, tries to build them up when they're maybe, you know, lacking confidence within the server and who's the person who kind of like is calling the shots or maybe calling audibles when the coaches can't sure so um it's it's basically a combination of three players and they all do both of those things hmm. um and it's dante Rockus and jexy so um 
all three of those players um, are very good at mentally like keeping everyone in the game and being like, Hey, like, you know, we did this well, like good job or like, Hey, focus up or like giving us things to anchor to, to get us back in when we're um, not focusing. And they're all just good at being positive and professional and wanting to Mm -hmm. work hard, just keeping us all where we need to be. Um, And they're all great assets in that way. And they're also all, um, a big part of our shot calling in game, um, where when Jexy is playing, obviously the main support traditionally does a lot of ult tracking, does a lot of planning, right? He fits that role. He does that very well. Um, but when Jexy isn't playing, um, when we're playing double flex support, Rockus really picks up that, that mantle well. And also just when we're playing certain comps that he, um, in general, if he can play like a less mechanically demanding hero, like if he's playing a Brig, if he's playing a Moira, he can mm. just shot call for us in the mid fight. He can do ult planning for us when he doesn't have to focus so much on his individual play and he can focus more on macro stuff. He really brings a lot to the table there. And then Dante, um, also very much an emotional leader, very much very positive um, and is really, really good at making plans and talking about um, what we can do with our ultimates or what plays we can make to be proactive and go before the other team talking about what he thinks the other mm. team wants to do this fight so that we can come up with a, a play to deal with that. So we kind of have three players that do both of those things at the same time. Oh. Nice. Interesting. Answer okay. Answer. Uh, yeah. That was great. Uh, let's. Uh, I've, I've got a couple like smattering of. Uh, they're just. They're just kind of the rant. Can we go to the random question portion of the show? <laughs> lightning round. Sure. The sure, lightning sure. round. Let's do it. Uh, who do you think is the best team in all of Overwatch League right now? Ooh. Um, Philly or Shanghai. Oh, not Philly shot. or Shanghai. So you're saying yeah. you're saying flip a flip a coin and pick one, or do you have a preference between those two? Um, I think it's um, it's hard to say until we see some play between the regions. It's just hard mm. to call. I think those are the best teams in each region. So I assume, and I hope people are able to infer as much and don't think like just like the last tournament on that specific hero pool. Or no hero pro uh, as it uh, was, mm. it's like a super indicator of people's performance. But you think over breadth of hero pools, Philly would perform better than Shock, for instance? Yeah, I mean, I guess it depends on your um, your definition of like the strongest team, right? But I think if the postseason started in two weeks and we all had two weeks to prep for the postseason, that those would be the teams that I would put money on making the finals. Uh, obviously like not knowing the bracket, but those would be the teams I would sure. expect to get there. I think shock in their current form just uh, has flexibility issues. Mm. So if they have a meta that favors them, they have insanely high peaks, but they have an issue being, flexible with particularly some of their dps roles um, and their supports they have an issue where they can hit every hero you need to play but sometimes they have to make significant roster swaps moving players in and out to be able to do that and i think that that 
can be a problem when a, a meta develops more and you can't just one trick one comp. Mm. That's that's by the way, just as a side point, always an interesting. Like also reading the AMA with Krusty where he said that they want to move uh, Moth out of these compositions where they have to play double flex supports. Yeah. And while that, of course, that's entirely possible, that's feasible. In my mind, how I envisioned Moth or also which has been like the feedback uh, for a while, like if you remove Moth, you are removing something in terms of the comms um, in, the, uh, in the game. And then, of course, Maybe you're not losing anything necessarily because you're in injecting Twilight there, who's also uh, a mind for the game, but um, you probably necessarily almost change a lot with that one substitution, right? Like it feels like if you have two of those very impactful roles, then um, that would really like. Um, maybe I'm overemphasizing how how important uh, Moth is, but it's almost like if I, it's, to me how I conceptualize the shock, it would change the the soul or the the direction of the team, and um, that's that's always a, a, an interesting aspect in that conversation of just you know if we want to play two flex supports, um, where it's like yeah from a, from a skill perspective makes perfect sense. Um, I wonder just like what what it means for comms and synergy and whatnot, right? Mm. So yeah, I don't I don't know. Um, obviously, Moth has been talked about in the past as being like a really good caller and one of the core parts of Shock. I don't know how true that is today, one way or the other. Mm. It might still true. be the case. It might be less the case now. But um, I think a lot of teams will make that swap in specific situations if they do have two flex support players, particularly on maps that are very, very dominant for double flex support. Like think about maps like Rialto or Junkertown, for example, mm. right? It just it makes a lot of sense to have, for example, a very mechanically proficient Zen and Baptiste. Um, and the main support players are just going to have way less hours on those heroes than the those top tier flex support players um so that that like that makes a lot of sense to me i'm more um thinking about their tank line with like super and smurf for example where both of those are very very good players but they don't have that flexibility to be able to play different composition styles mm -hmm. when they have like those those players in and then um ons uh obviously having an extremely limited hero pool uh, mm -hmm. i would even say it's it's extremely surprising to me the gap between ons's performance on widow and then his performance on like mccree and ash it's it i, I don't know that there's another player that mm. like their widow is that good but then their other hit scan is like nowhere near that same level not that ons is like bad at ash but like he is mm insane mm. on widow and mm. compared to like other hit scan ash players i feel like he's just like pretty pretty normal mm. um so yeah i think that maybe if he wasn't able if they weren't able to rely so much on never having to change their comp um that they could get punished more versus like a team like philly which i think even though they do make swaps with players it's almost because like they can not because they have to so that's right. Yeah. Fair. Um, who do you think is the best individual player in the Overwatch League right now? Oh, um, 
That's really, really hard, actually. Um, I feel like we don't have anyone that's standing out as just like clearly the best player, even at an individual role, much less across all the roles. That's a, or that's a hard Maybe to rephrase it, you're, you're a GM. You're pick mm-hmm. one, round one. Mm-hmm. Who do you pick? Carpet. <laughs> that's, that's an easy one. That's an easy one. I pick carpet. There, I mean, there you go, though. Do you have a front it's, runner in terms of rookie of the year? Um, rookie of the year. Yeah, he's uninhibited because there's no rookie on the outlaws. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think right now a lot of people would say Yaki. Um, with his recent performance, I think sure. he's really, really flexible. He's a super big carry, but. Um, maybe Gangnam Jin. Okay. Maybe Gangnam Jin, actually. I think, I think Lip, I don't understand, um, Joe listening. Why? I don't understand why people think Lip is, is a, is a very well-rounded, like, player that can compete for something like Rookie of the Year. I think his mechanical skill is really good, and he's shown a decent performance on some heroes, but um, I don't think that lip is in the conversation with like the other, like top four, top five rookies. I think that that's a, a silly place to put lip. I think he's very good at the yeah, heroes yeah, yeah. that he I, plays. Right. I but I think there are some very well-rounded rookies coming into mm. the league. Right. And even amongst his scan, like I would take Exy over lip easily. Like that's not even mm. a question for me. I would probably be fair, take he's Hisu. not playing right now, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. I would probably take Hisu over Lip. Um yeah. so get him, Joe. Yeah, Go, so Joe. I'm 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 not I'm not there on the lip as rookie of the year. I'm there on lip being an impressive rookie, but there's a right. lot of impressive rookies. Oh yeah, this is a this is a tough season. So so that's, is, is that's it, my pick. Is it a Sorry? thing of team performance that you would say Gangnam Genova, for instance, Mayan Bong? Um, it's hero pool. I think Myanbang is really good on uh, Anna, but I think Gangnam Jin is similarly good on Anna and much better on Zen, much better on Bap. Um, and I think, I mean, maybe Myanbang could like look better in a team that has like a better performance, but Gangnam Jin is one of those players that like. When you play against him, when you prep against him, you're like, okay, remember, they have Gangnam Jin. He does all this really weird stuff all the time, and it works. And we just have to be ready for him to, like, go on some crazy flank or, like, int into our team to nade four of us. And they win because he makes these plays. So he literally, like, you have to prep against Gangnam Jin. And it's like there's there's very few rookies in the league and very few flex supports of any tenure that make you feel that way. I think Gangnam Jin is very good. Where does Alarm fit in there, that discussion? Um, I think Alarm is really good. I think Alarm um, maybe suffers from having so many like incredible stars in his team, mm-hmm. so he doesn't stand out as much. And Philly also plays... Um, very much like for team value and team coordination and not that mayhem doesn't do that, but mayhem 
like even the strategies that they choose, they always lean into letting someone on the team carry, whether that's Yaki or BQB or Gangnam Jin. They always want to put one of those players in the position to be a carry for them, where when Philly decides they want to let someone carry, it's not alarm. So he doesn't get to have that star level like look on him but i think performance wise he is easily amongst the the best rookies from this year interesting way above lip (laughs) (laughs) joe you can rebut it's dream this isn't like some gas that we have to worry about oh man he's never gonna come back on this it's dream (laughs) yeah yeah it's it's more with lip that it's a combination of a lot of things. I, I, I would agree that I think I take him under in terms of mechanics with a lot of different people. The mm. success that he's had relative to the expectation, I think is very impressive. I would say that he still has like a pretty massive impact. Like he can still be pretty clutch. Um, but the mechanic discussion like has, has me thinking. Has me thinking. I mean, I think I just I just want to throw something out really quick about Lips mechanics. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, especially on like Widow, for example, his mechanics are extremely impressive. Um, and one of the things that I think has put him on so many people's radar is before the season started, unless you were hearing about the scrims that were happening in Asia, basically no one was expecting Lip to come in and be a good player. He was tearing things up even in the preseason scrims, and people were talking about how well he was doing, especially on Widow and Hanzo in the preseason scrims, right? But, like, when he was in Korean Contenders, that guy wasn't even good. Like, he he, he, he was, like, below average. Like, Mm -hmm. especially when you compare him to another really good hitscan rookie coming in, like Ans. They were playing at the same time. And Ons was one of the stars in the league. It was like Ons and Climax uh, before Happy joined were like these insane like Widow players before Edison's popping off, right? These insane Widow players. And Lip was just getting bullied all the time. Mm -hmm. He was not an impressive talent in Korean contenders Um, to the point that it's kind of weird how well he is doing now. Yeah. so I think that if you want to look at it from defying expectations, th- that is somewhere where, where Lip kind of leads the pack. But that's just not something I really factor into a rookie of the year conversation, at least just personally. Yeah, that, that's, that's very fair. And I'll also say, I think a lot of, especially the teams that were in Korea, like when I talk to the coaches, they will tell you that they're still, like from what they've seen to what they've seen in the Overwatch League, there's still a lot of room uh, for improvement for Lip mm. to actually get to that level. I mean, maybe it's also a hero pulse thing in terms of like they're just not being that much Hanzo and uh, and Widow at all. Mm. So um, that's also po- possible that that's uh, that's part of the equation. But yeah, there's I, I think the the amazing reputation that you you uh, that's sort of like happened before the season started framed the narrative for for him but then he also had some some actually like tragically hilarious maps yeah. uh, especially these last and, weeks yeah yeah like a summer yeah. performance on on oasis and even on junkertown was was bad just frankly yeah yeah um, no i agree yeah it's he 
I think it's hard to give like rookie of the year to someone that has a very, very limited scope of effectiveness mm-hmm. unless they just get to play that all season long. Right. Like Joe Knack, for example, in season one, like the sure. fact that he's an amazing Zen is great, but he probably doesn't get to be MVP if Zen is only good for one stage. Right. right. He'd still be a really good player. He's still very good at Anna, but he's not like this viewed as this paradigm shifting player right Mm -hmm. and and you know sinatra with mvp in season two gets this huge benefit of he's the best zarya and he gets to play zarya the entire Entire season season, right right? Mm -hmm. so if this was a season where you could play widow the entire season then i think lip would be in the rookie of the year discussion I just think because he has very limited and ons would be too, right? But I mm-hmm. think because he has this limited effectiveness, it's really hard to give him that rookie of rookie of the year over like Gangnam Jin, over Myun Bong, where they can play multiple different heroes and be a superstar or at least a star in any meta where I don't think Lip gives you that ability. Like you mm. are not happy when it's a sombra meta when you have Lip on no, your that's team. very true. Um, all right, softball on this one. If you could share spaghetti with any Overwatch League coach, Lady in the Tramp style, who would it be? Spaghetti with any Overwatch coach, Lady in the Tramp. I mean, it's got to be Chris from oh. uh, Fusion. Um, because right. I already, I, I, I already do that with Arsha and Hureg on the weekly. Uh, <laughs> Fair enough. So, yeah. but yeah, it's got to be Chris building. from Fusion. Yeah, I get it. Broaden those horizons. Um, we we were uh we actually both started coaching with uh british hurricane like within a couple days of each other and then he very quickly got yoinked to go um join the philly fusion um oh by the way that was my power flickering and my stream and computer not getting dropped because of my ups that i bought like two weeks ago so papa bless Um, (laughs) but uh um but yeah we both we both started at hurricane around the same time both like first starting coaching at the same time um just talked to each other a decent amount and when we had the homestand at uh philly we planned to meet up for drinks and then some scheduling stuff got in the way we weren't able to and we're like ah we'll just catch each other at another homestand and then that didn't work out out. (laughs) Unlucky. Uh, unlucky but yeah yeah probably probably chris Every every single place that you are in the same city, there's a DoorDash uh, deliverer with spaghetti, and you just never get to just waiting. Yeah. <laughs> just never never ends up happening. Um, oh man, I'm trying to think of what other ones we have. Um, do we have any other like good ones? I mean the the question in uh, in chat by Jin Forty One, like basically, let, let's rephrase it to which. Which team or player really surprised you? You like totally out of left field, didn't see that coming, even from preseason uh, knowledge and stuff like that. Nico, Nico for sure, and I will publicly come out and say I had low expectations for Nico coming into the season. I felt that he was well past his prime, and that Paris was going to be in a bad, uh, a very bad position until. Sparkle showed up, and I could not be more wrong. 
and huge credit to Nico. And it's not like he's just like some old man that's like washed or whatever, but mm-hmm. it's very, it, it's not a thing we've seen really in overwatch for a player that has been around and is as much of an OG as Nico is to make such significant improvements late in their career. That's just not something that is, is precedented in my opinion. I don't know if there's someone that I'm missing, if, if anyone can think of someone, but to me, Nico is by far the most impressive example of that. And that obviously huge credit to um, Nico for putting in the work and for learning and all that stuff in this situation, being in overwatch for so long, just getting into overwatch league. It's so weird to think he's a rookie in the overwatch league. And yet he's Mm. been around the scene for, um, so long, but also credit to the Paris coaching staff. Um, my understanding is that because um, of the majority of the coaching staff speaking Korean, that yeah. and, and this is I've heard this secondhand. I haven't heard this from anyone on Paris directly, but what I have heard is that the majority of the work that has been done with Nico coaching wise has actually been done by Nine K. Um, because of his ability to coach in English, obviously. Um, so huge credit to their staff in general, but also to 9K and to Nico um, for, for those two being able to work together and for Nico to, to be able to pop off. I'm in a position where, to me, the heroes that Sparkle are really good at is like Doom, Farah, and Genji. Bro, those heroes suck. You might not even need to play Sparkle. Yeah, that's, like, that's I, I, I actually thinking. feel that way. I don't know if Sparkle needs to play, bro. That <laughs> I cannot believe I'm saying that. Yeah. That's crazy. But I legitimately feel that way. And that's yeah. huge, huge props to, to Nico, the whole Paris team, um, and the, the coaching staff. That easily the biggest surprise for me this season. And I, I'm happy to eat crow and to, to say that I was, I was wrong with my expectations. Yeah. All right. It's a good one. I don't know how to ask this one. I think chat's just trolling us at this point. So I'm going to put the Do you music want me to ask up. it? Yeah. Go ahead. All right, Dream. Since you have been power ranked to all hell this season, well, you I, want you, that, I want you to power rank us as hosts and co hosts of Tactical Crouch. Mm. It's only fair. Do you guys really want me to answer this? I'll answer. I have no problem answering this. Do you really want this answer? Bring the heat. <sighs> I want to listen to it. Yiska John Joe. Yes. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take you it. Asked, you asked for it, Joe. Right. You asked for it. Hey, no, I'm about it. No follow-up. I will take second place. <laughs> I will take second place. No follow-up. <laughs> and I will hang up on you if you try. There you go. <laughs> yeah. All right, man. Um, the power rankings of Owl Casters and Alice. No, that's mean. That is mean, chat. Don't be mean. <laughs> this is kind of a good one. Um, DK. I think a lot of people are really, mm. really high on DK right now. Obviously, uh, we, we discussed a little bit about the Fuel Houston match there. But do you think... Hey, like, do you have any... Do you have any coaching spidey senses as to why we didn't see that decay on gladiators. Whereas now we, we see that on fuel. Um, I mean, the biggest thing I can say is that I think he's just one of those players that really grinds a lot and uh, both mechanically, but also just watching his own play and watching players that are good play. Um, like you don't see the level of improvement that decay has shown honestly 
even from his KDP days going into Gladiators and then again from Gladiators coming into Fuel. He's been improving for a really long time um, in Hero Pool and in like peak performance on new heroes. So I think it's just Decay is one of the, those players that grinds really hard and is always looking to improve and he will continue to improve until some sort of brick wall happens. But I don't expect that to happen soon i think he's just a very self-motivated self-driven player um that knows what he needs personally to improve yeah i mean wolf made a, a great point as well uh very very similar and kind of evident to what you're saying like back in the day like he was kind of criticized for not having a widow and now look at the performance he can put on with the character so it's it's, it's the improvement arc is definitely there. Definitely has I mean, put he, in the work. He even had this weird thing on Genji on KDP where he could only play it on one map. He could <laughs> only play it on Anubis. And anytime he played it anywhere else where he didn't have all these preset positions to play on Genji, he just fed. He was bad. <laughs> but on Genji or on Anubis, his Genji was like insane. And everywhere mm. else it was terrible. And it was just, it was so weird. He was just a weird player, man. And he just really put his nose to the grindstone and, and did what he needed to do and improved. And that's super, super admirable. And he's done it for multiple years on multiple rosters with multiple coaching staffs. Yeah. And the, the, the factor in all of those situations is decay. And so mm -hmm. I think, I think we just have to point to him uh, and give him the credit for that. John, I know you want something. I'm going to give it to you, but you got to throw it back. Okay. There you go. I got one, I've, I got, I've got the, I've got, I think I got the ending question. You got the ending. Okay. I know you've been a big proponent of Glister. Yes. How yes, have you yes, 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 yes. Um, I am a big proponent of Glister and JMac on London. I think they're both very underrated. I think okay. Glister is another level, right? Like Glister, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, is like legitimate superstar in the making. Mm -hmm. um, where I think JMac is just pretty solid and people think he's like really bad for some reason. Maybe because they don't have eyes. Um, <laughs> but uh, Oof. Glister, I have to Glister, delete like I think... six episodes of this show. <laughs> BRB, <laughs> um, Glister, I think, has just struggled from London not having a strong identity as a team. Um, mm. so that he the fact that he's a flex god and can play everything is almost working to his detriment as far as how he looks because whatever hat he needs to wear the team is like oh well glister can do it mm -hmm. and and when uh the rest of the team isn't there to to be really stable and to be really strong performers in a consistent way it just means that glister has to shoulder a really big load in my opinion um so I would love to see if they do hone in on an identity or a style throughout the rest of the season, see kind of the, the reins come off of, of Glister a little bit and see what he can do uh, later in the season. I still think mm. uh, he's got a lot to show us, even this year. Yeah. All right. Any follow-up on that, Joe? No. All right. Well, then I've got the last one. This is the hard-hitting one. Oh, um, it's sure. it's pretty tough. Yiska, you have any other ones you want to put out because this is the end? No, no, no. Right. I, I already know it's probably a very terrible one. After which we just got to run and like ostrich ourselves, basically. It took you a hundred and five episodes to figure that out. Uh, <laughs> so this is coming from Liu Yin. 
Liuyin. He also goes as Vowels. Off to a good start. I believe. He also goes to Vowels. Okay. He asks, um, I'm going to try to paraphrase. I'm, I, actually, I'm just going to read it verbatim. Sure, sure. Uh, directly from him. I'm not going to paraphrase that. Why are you such a dumb idiot? <laughs> from uh, Luyuyan, also known as Vowels. Probably because, probably because my ancestors were Welsh, you ugly moron. <laughs> there it is. That's dream, everybody. That is dream in a nutshell. <laughs> Clip it and ship it. Let's go. Uh, oh, man. Chat, thank you so much for hanging out. I hope you had a fun time today on this beautiful Wednesday. Sorry the launch ended up getting canceled. I'm not happy about it, so I'm wearing my Yiscat shirt, which oh. you can get, by the way. Wait, I didn't even panels. realize there was a mid-show wardrobe change. We got some production value yeah, going yeah. on here. What? Really, that's the production value? Jeez. I'm going to unphotoshop all these things. I was wearing mine recently to the bakery. <laughs> there were two dudes just going like, like pointing towards me, and I'm like, "Yeah, I'm the person that wears myself <laughs> on my shirt." Why not? Right? Yeah. Why not? Um, but but I hope you really enjoyed this episode. Uh, we do have a pretty cool announcement on Monday. We have a coach for the like, GM, right? GM for the Florida Mayhem. Uh, yeah. Is coming on the That's show. Nice. He's going to hang out. So we're going to keep, like, the goal is, is we've got this three-week break. And all of a sudden, all the Overwatch League coaches are like, hey, I can breathe. Like, they come up for water. Mm. And then we're like, give us an interview. And uh, most of them are like, okay. <laughs> so they are. So. Stop slapping me. Yeah, so really. Little, little uh, self-plug there. I gave mayhem a lot of credit going into the season i gave mayhem a lot of credit before the may melee i've been arguing with people that they're a top three team in na for the last month um so i'm really really excited to see albert come on the show um yeah i think what he's done to turn that franchise around is super impressive yeah. and i'm really interested in what he's gonna say it's gonna mm -hmm. be great that's gonna be monday at noon pacific time twitch.tv slash kick tripod hopefully we know if we're a partner by then uh, <laughs> before we do all the shoutouts and the normal closeout stuff, Dream. First of all, message to the Houston Outlaws fans out there, the pew pew anti ups, anti uppers. Uh, any any um message for them, and of course, then just like shoutouts. Let us know where people could find you and stay connected with you. Uh, be on the show. Obviously, um, for our fans, thank you so so much for the support. We wouldn't be able to like do this for a living without our fans so we all yeah thank you so much for the support obviously we're we're trying to show you the um the performances that you guys deserve i think we're getting closer um but i'm really glad that despite us having a not so great performance so far this season we still have great viewership great support from the community all that stuff so thank you thank you so much please just bear with us a little bit longer I promise. Um, and then general uh, shout out stuff. Um, just check me out on Twitter, just dream overwatch and on Twitch dream underscore overwatch. I've been doing VOD reviews um, the last few days of May melee matches that will continue. I will do some later today. So if you want to watch some VOD reviews of those May melee matches, um, you just head to my Twitch or head to my Twitter. And I also post all the VODs on YouTube as well. 
And it's it's really insightful. We used to so uh, before you were a coach in Overwatch League, uh, we didn't mm. do it as many times as I would like. But we would. Uh, there was a few times where you let me be privy to some of like your VOD review and explanations. And I've, I I hang out whenever you you stream it. Super insightful. Like I look at I always look at the game completely differently after uh, I get done hearing you talk about uh, the game, and then I realize <laughs> what. I, how a coach, an Overwatch League caliber coach and analyst understands the game compared to my little smooth round peanut brain. So you need you need well, to thanks, go man. check those I out. I really appreciate it. They're like they're really good. Thank you. Thank you. you need to move your uh, your webcam. Your your webcam border is slightly off the stream right now. Mm -hmm. So you need to move that over to the left. Ah, okay, okay. Thank I, you, thank you. I appreciate the, it. The production tips are basically all I can offer you. Uh -huh. That's all I can. Hey, do. I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> uh, we're gonna play. We should play some uh, TFT soon. By the way. Uh, it's been a while. Yes, I'm so excited for the mid the mid set patch. They're doing all these crazy huge. changes. They're taking out voids. They're taking out Valkyries. I'm so pumped. Huge, huge. Uh, maybe maybe we'll do a TFT podcast. Uh, what we've got Valorant now between Joe Yiska and I. We, let's just do TFT. Let's do the big three. It, it's not the it's not the yeah, big I, three. The big three. I think I think I'm probably allowed to go Let's on a Valorant go. themed podcast, but I would I would love to talk about Valorant. Um, I'm definitely having a lot of fun watching and playing that game, so that's something I'd be happy to talk about anytime. Yes, Sweet. let's do it. Um, all right. Uh, let's do it this way. Uh, Joe, new patrons. Who do we got? New patrons. We have Kyle S. and Steven W. Thank you for your support. And your patronage. Love you. Uh, patron producers. Joe, I'm going to let you say it. I So I say patron producers every time we had Yiska try to do it last week. You do it this week. Uh -huh. Who are our patron producers? Thank them and then tell them where they can So our patron us. producers, the people who patronize us the most with the, the biggest hearts, are Battle Crab, Pin, Lulshin, Charlie L, Audio Compass, Porkchop Sammy, Kasha67, Coochie Kopi, Chara, Picasso, Nathan, Your Misery, Hunter Jane, Reeve Ride Bean, and Rex Zane. Thank you so much. You are the people who bring us the news and all of our other stuff. Appreciate you a freaking ton. Yeah. Patreon.com slash Tactical Crouch. We have the uh, game night on Friday after Spike Drop which records at noon on Friday uh, at 2 p.m. We're going to be doing a patron game night. Anybody is welcome to come. We get lots of really cool people who stop by and play some games with us. And so we'd love you to be one of them. Uh, that'll be at twitch.tv slash kick tripod. And to support the show, go to patreon.com slash kick tripod or subscribe to the stream right here. Twitch.tv slash kick tripod. Yiska, who subbed during the show today? I'm prepared this time, John. Are you proud of me? I gave you like three minutes, dude. I don't like any slow, <laughs> Fair enough. any Fair slower enough. reaction, and uh, I, I won't say it. Never mind. Any slower reaction. The, it, the only slow. slower reaction I've ever seen is you playing Valorant and holding an angle. Um, new subs. <laughs> Lucid one two eight. Voyager Overwatch. Citric Lucas. Kenobi cast, what up Kenobi, and Shumi26.
I'm just muting you for the rest of the show. That's two weeks in a row now. You've been muted. How's that feel? It's been muted. Two shows. When did you just become rude, boy? It's true. Thank you, new subs. We really appreciate you a ton. Y'all are the best. Uh, yeah, we got them all. Uh, if you like the show, go to iTunes, leave a five star review as well. We appreciate it a ton. Um, and you guys are all great. Uh, we're going to be right back after the music for a brief post show. We went really long today, especially at the end. I apologize. Some people are like, I like the longer show. Hopefully, during the break, we can get away with the longer shows. Um, mm. And uh, actually, we don't apologize. We don't apologize. Get used to it. Listen to something else. I don't care. <laughs> I, don't, I don't work for you. You're I not, love that energy. I don't work for you. You're not my mom. Thanks, chat. We love you. We'll be back right after this. And uh, stay tuned.